You're listening to Sport, Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. So many of us are obsessed with the image we put forth in the world as opposed to being obsessed with the person we are that will naturally create the image. And I want people to focus on that. There's nothing on this planet that we have anymore that forces you to face your fears and forces you to grow the way boxing does. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, I wish it was an eight talent. Goodness. My life would be so much easier if I had some of that. Hi there. Now, in all probability, Ed Lattimore is a unique sportsman. Raised in the projects of Pittsburgh, he became an elite amateur boxer, mixing with heavyweights who would go on to fight Anthony Joshua for the world title. However, like many sportsmen, he would lose his way, both personally and professionally. Lattimore regrouped, went back to school, joined up to the military. Now he combines a professional boxing career with university, all the while writing self-help books with titles like not caring what other people think is a superpower. It's a strange world, one where he navigates the money-orientated, often murky environment of small hall boxing, while blogging and writing about the more philosophical aspects of the human condition. So how did he make that dichotomy work? How did he handle a crushing first defeat? And did he take his own advice? After all, he'd written a book on confidence. Remember to go to my website, Mr. Richard Clark, to join up to my newsletter, look at my other podcasts, my blogging, my writing, you can also follow me at Mr. Richard Clark on social. But let's start with Ed Lattimore. He'll introduce himself. He can punch, he can write, and he can talk too. All right, I'm Ed Lattimore. I currently am a student in my final semester for my degree in physics, a Bachelor of the Arts, which is a unique blend. I write, I've written a book, I run a blog, I, I'm moving into podcasting, and I guess... <laughs> Mainly, not mainly, but one of the defining features of my personality is I box professionally. I'm 13, one and one. I've taken a year off to handle some other parts of my life, and now I'm I'm getting back in the ring and starting the climb again to raise my stock. I like to retire with at least 20 professional fights. And, you know, anything after that, I consider an extra. I mean, obviously, I'll keep training and fighting, but, but I just think... I just think there's so much, and I love the sport, and I'm really fortunate to be able to do it at the level that I can do it. I know not everyone gets that opportunity, so I I approach every day at the gym with with gratitude. I've heard you introduce yourself before, and once you left out the fact that you were a boxer, and this time you put it last. (laughs) Why do you do that? Because Because one of the points of this interview is you've got so much going on in your life, and you're doing many different things, but... Boxing is a life, it's not a sport, and you put it last. Why? Well, because, okay, so there's two reasons for that. I'll give you the, the general meta reason and the specific reason right now. And it makes more sense to give you the specific reason first, I think. The specific reason is, is right now, boxing is kind of, I mean, it, it's not a hobby. I'm way past the point where it could ever be considered a hobby. It's either going to be on or off. And right now, we're kind of training to get back to being ready to take a fight at any moment. You know, they say if you're always ready, you don't have to get ready. More so in boxing, do you 
pay a penalty or have a chance to change your life living by that maxim. You know, you can get called up to sub in for a fight or get an offer, you know, a week out. Now, if you've been chilling on the couch, that's unfortunate. But if you've been in a gym, you know, you, you got a chance to really go out there and make history, make some noise. So right now, I'm not at the point where a person could call me up and say, hey, man, we got a 10-rounder for 50K. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, no, I can't do that. But I am training to get back to that point. And I can't do that because right now the other things in my life take precedent. I'm enjoying. I mean, I'm teaching right now. I really love that. I'm in school right now. I'm finishing that off. Working on my next book, finishing that off. Those things are taking take the forefront right now. Boxing is just kind of on the back burner for life. And I really hate saying that, but there's, it's all relative, right? The meta point, though, is that, you know... I guess in the weirdest way, I never really saw boxing as my identity. And and I think I think now coming back, so much of my brain has changed just in terms of like not just what I can do. And that's the biggest interesting um, part of the fight and part of my training and part of what's happening. But also, like, I really I really now am starting to see myself as a boxer as opposed to before when I was really heavy into it. Before, it was just like, oh, I'm building myself up. I'm building myself up. Now I feel like a fighter. Now I feel like I understand it. And so it's weird that it just kind of popped out because sometimes it's, it's, it's there, sometimes it isn't. But now everyone over the past year has talked to me and I haven't thrown a punch in a professional fight in over a year. So it, it kind of slips away, but now it's, it's starting to come back. And if, if we had this interview six months from now, it probably would be the first thing to come off my mouth. Out of my mouth. But but right now, it kind of is in the, in the background. And your story is a story that you get in boxing in the sense that you've turned your life around and taken your boxing a lot more professionally because you were a high-quality amateur, a sponsored amateur but five years ago, you're in a very different space with your relationship to the sport, your relationship with alcohol. So what's what's evolved over the last five years or so? You know, the biggest thing is I, I feel worth something. I really think a lot of self-destructive behavior and that I was engaged in, particularly self-destructive behavior, comes from not feeling like the thing you are destroying is worthwhile. In this case, it is, you know, it's yourself, self-destructive behavior. And and it, it started with a little bit of a spark, a small spark, which was just me and my girlfriend, who, who I'm still with now and, and I think is incredible. But with seeing and having a person really like, I felt like for the first time she liked, she was a person who liked me for me. I didn't have to go out of my way to be something I wasn't, you know, cause that's what a lot of my drinking was. It was to fit in. It was to forget. It was to really be in the moment, but not be present. So I could get out of my head and, and get out into the world without worrying about being judged or worrying about what people think of me, even the people who I thought, you know, who I think are my friends. And now and they are my friends. I don't I don't want to say who I think. But at that time, it definitely would have been who I thought, because, you know, I didn't have confidence. I didn't like myself. And I, I and that's what's really changed is I started to focus on building myself up. And as I built myself up, I was like, yo, I'm not a bad dude. I I have a cool story. I can tell people. I can help people. And the, the feedback I get now in terms of letters and what I write and when I interact with students, it, it makes me feel like, 
my purpose here is is greater. So I take my purpose here more seriously. And part of that, a big part of that is not doing things to destroy or distract from what I what I'm capable of accomplishing. You grew up in the projects. Was it in Pittsburgh you grew up? Yeah, yeah. So so tell us just the short story of your life until that point five years ago when you changed. Well, you know, even before that point, uh, I guess we could break my life kind of into two two spots. There was me from zero to 18. I grew up in, in a public housing project, or I think the equivalent over there, what, council estates kind of. Yeah. Uh, and, and those, I mean, it's just a really rough area, a lot of violence, a lot of crime, uh, and, and more, most importantly, not a lot of guidance or people to look up to. I didn't have anyone in my life that I wanted to be like or who, who properly inspired me until I got to high school. Now, I went to a high school that was, I mean, it was literally an hour away. I had the, It was an hour by bus each morning. And then an hour back, so two hours of my day was in commute time, and it was worth it. It changed my life. Uh, it took me from possibly being someone who would end up just another story or another statistic into somebody who who I was the beneficiary of positive peer pressure because I was around good people, and these are the people who are still my, my good friends today. And the way they treated me and seeing how they lived, I was like, wow, man, I can... This is cool. These are people <laughs> who are interesting and are like me, or at least who I want to be. So I got to be around that. And that was the first major change. And the second one, you know, we're going to talk like from 19 to, to 27-ish. I spent a lot of time uh, just kind of drifting. And I wasn't, I wasn't really sure I didn't want to make sacrifices because I got so attached. I remember when I lived in L.A., and in LA, I was, that's where I was a sponsored amateur. And I, and I went out there with a suspended license and in LA without a driver's license, without a car, I mean, you can't do anything really. And, and I'll tell you what I got. So it was the closest thing I felt to depression. And maybe my ego is not letting me say I was depressed, but I was depressed because it was a sudden move. It was a great thing for my career. And it was a great thing for me. But I had no nothing familiar around me, and it wore me out. I was I was up to drinking like a box of wine every two days, and any drinker knows like a, a single human being to consume that much alcohol. Oh, it's terrible. And then then that was just you know that was a supplement. But I was doing that because I wasn't comfortable being by myself, being with me, and I didn't I didn't know I I didn't I didn't uh I was. What bugged me is giving up what I got attached to, the people who I did care about. And that helped me. And then from that experience, when I enlisted in the military and I was away for training, it's even more. I really learned to be alone with my thoughts and be alone with me and really do inventory. And in the military, I had to do that inventory without alcohol because I was in training. And I was like, holy, holy hell, man. I got to make some changes, uh, like some serious changes. And I have a really bad relationship with alcohol. I came back from training one night. I tried to party, went horrible. I was like, that's it. And December 23rd was, you know, when I stopped drinking, December 23rd, 2013, uh, because that's when I realized it was it. But, but you know, 
those are the two big changes. I mean, in between there, there were some like little jobs and things, and obviously I started boxing, which got me to that point. But but the, but the alcohol was always in the backdrop, man. I I, get, I remember one day there was another point right right before I left where where dawned on me. I was like, yo, man, you got a, you got a problem. I started doing the math, and I say I say this to people now when I talk to guys that like AA or, or need some help. I, I say when you start doing the math, that's when you know you got a problem. When you start working out, okay, this costs this. Uh, I have this much, and rents do. How much? When when you start thinking, how close can you get to your breaking point financially? And you're using alcohol to get you there, and you're figuring out how much money to spend, or or this is the worst too. I think this is worse than this. When I would try and figure out how long the alcohol would last before I could go to train or try to get out of training to go drink. And I was like, yeah, man, this, you know, maybe other people can drink. Clearly in my life, I've learned the lesson. It ain't for me. I don't, I got, I don't have the personality to, to deal with it. And so now it's a, uh, it's a non-issue. <laughs> Thank goodness. You talk a lot about having changed and got more discipline in your life, but you'd got to obviously a very good level as a boxer because you're a sponsored amateur. So what got you there? Was it working just hard enough? Was it innate talent? Was it, was it what got you there to start with? And also, <laughs> why boxing? Oh, man. Oh, I wish it was innate talent. Goodness. My life would be so much easier if I had some of that. Um, no, it, I th- I've thought about this a lot, and and this led me to to a to a conclusion. A conclusion. Uh, there's self discipline and there's self control. I have incredible self discipline. You can put me on a task, and I will do that task, and I can set a goal, and I will get there because I'm disciplined in that regard. I can make myself do almost anything right that's self-discipline the ability to make yourself do a thing self-control that's kind of where i'm bad at not by kind i mean that's where i'm really where i'm terrible right and i've learned to use it i've learned to come up with systems to work around that but my issue my, my girlfriend says i fixate <laughs> i'll i'll get this idea in my head and i'll be like that has to happen it has to go it has to come to pass, right? And that's a really good thing sometimes. It's not always the best idea. I mean, not at all. So my discipline to train was good. But my but when I would decide that tonight was the night and we were going to party, it was just, it, that's what was going, that's what it was, man. Whether it was I had to make up an excuse to get out the gym early or I had to have a, you know, or, or I would have a shot, uh, prior to to figure out you know okay i can do this training and and then go out if i decided that day was a party day or that night and the problem is when you start when you it's never just one day (laughs) if it was it wouldn't be a problem no it's a it's a you know i think i i think i remember the last time i was like seriously off the wall hammer before i went into the military or no not the last time but but one of the more notable times it was my 28th birthday. I'd had tons of birthdays before then. My 28th birthday was effectively a six-day drinking celebration, right? And it's not like I didn't have a job. It's not like I didn't have to train. Yeah, okay, we, we figure it out. 
We we figured out we we make reality work for the drinking instead of trying to drink <laughs> like every other person does, which is in a socially acceptable manner. So that that's where that goes. Uh, so the self discipline always spot on self control, not too much. As for wild boxing, um, the practical answer. <laughs> is that boxing is what was available. I remember I needed I used to I used to rail against higher education. I mean, I really thought college was stupid. To to a degree, I still think college is stupid <laughs> even though I'm in it. And and I used to have some of my most epic arguments with the girl I was seeing, uh, her mother. Her mother is a university professor. She says to me one day, she says, before she throws me out of her house for, for one of many times, she says, oh, well, okay, so you don't like college and you're not in college. Cool. I get that. But what have you done instead? And I wasn't doing anything. I was working at Starbucks. <laughs> and and that really got to me. I was like, well, what, what do I have Tom Equity in? So I went and I started to train because I wanted to have something to show for my time on this planet other than stories about drinking. And so for me, it was training. It was to say I boxed. It was to say I've done a thing. I put my mind somewhere. I've applied myself over time. That's why that started. That was the practical reason it got me into the gym to begin with. What kept me in the gym what it what continues to keep me in the gym now. There's there's nothing on this planet that'll develop you the way coming up in the boxing circuit will do. Between the, the training, which will discipline you further physically, and then you gotta sell your own tickets. I don't know how many people know that or or if it's like that in Britain because you guys have a much better system. But in America, when you're first coming up, you gotta sell your own tickets. People have to like you. Otherwise, you won't succeed from a business standpoint. You'll turn into somebody's opponent because they're like, oh, we need a guy to beat up to develop our guy who's likable, who has discipline. And they'll bring you in and you'll get your head rocked because you won't have time to learn the game properly to learn the sport. So that's the other thing. You got to learn how to be a, a, a at the very least, um, you got to be good for the press, the press, right? And out of the people who can't see it, I put press in air quotes because the press is everyone who's going to say a thing about you to everyone else. It's your reputation and you can learn how to guard it. You learn how to be. And now you don't got to be a squeaky clean guy, but you can't be an asshole randomly. I mean, <laughs> that's not going to work. People have to want to spend money and time. And if they don't want to do that, you won't amount to much. So there's a, that's what boxing has done for me. It's developed me dealing with people. It's developed how I deal with myself. It forces you to face your fear. There's nothing on this planet that we have anymore legally that won't kill you that forces you to face your fears and forces you to grow the way boxing does. I mean, every no no one gets hit in the head, in the fight, he face, hit in the mouth. They don't know what it's like to, to float on the edge of consciousness and try and force yourself through. There's no aggression. And and whether you need aggression or not, I think you should have some in your life. But for people like me <laughs> with that personality trait, with that lack of moderation, uh, boxing is really good for that. Because if, you, if, you, if you're not moderated, if you're not controlled, you're not going to 
last very long. And when I went to the gym the first time, I said, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to get beat out of this sport. I'm going to have to get hurt so badly or the coach is going to have to pull me aside and go, hey, man, look, I know you really like this, but you are just not – this is not for you. Uh, neither of those things happened, so I'm still here. <laughs> One of the reasons I want to talk to you was this story of self-improvement that runs through everything you do, and you, you've talked about it there. But there's so many other things aside from that. You're a, a physics and maths major – and you've been in the services and you're writing books as well about self-improvement in general, let alone the boxing. These are all tremendously hard things. One of them is tremendously hard. <laughs> you're doing, it seems, fourfold. So just I'll talk about the boxing a little bit more, but just talk about the, the studying. Why have you gone into that, given that I presume your life is, is full enough already? And before that, why did you go into the services? So start with the services first and then go on to the, onto the studying bit. Oh, this is, you know, it's all related. I'll try. So it'll, it won't really, it'll be a linear chronological story, but it's all related. So, so I remember I was working at, when I, when I got cut from my sponsorship in LA because Dominic Brazil was out there with me as well as Charles Martin. And those were the guys they wanted to run with. There were, there were five of us left at the end of the day. And it was me, Dominic Brazil, Charles Martin, um, George Fava, who I don't know, maybe you, you heard of, he's a small, he still, he really didn't go on boxing and John Hamm, who is now like a music executive. And they decided they, you know, they, they cut first, they cut George, and then they decided to keep the other three guys because they're all above 6'3". I'm 6'1", like, on my tippy toes. They wanted these big guys. So they said, all right, we're going another direction. Plus, I was just coming off surgery, and I lost a very, very close point decision in an amateur fight. And they were like, all right, cool. We found a reason to get rid of you. Peace. And they ran and went with the other guys. And, that, well, actually, you know, if, if I'm telling a story and, and making sure it's accurate, that's why my math was off. Because Dominic had left at this point. Because when he got to the Olympics, they decide, he decided, uh, you guys aren't taking care of me the right way. And so he went and signed with, with uh, Al Heyman's people, I think. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but, but uh, it's, it was something to that effect. So so they got rid of me and they kept they kept Charles and they kept John and then John got cut and they kept Charles and Charles went on to go you know fight for the title win it or or, or win it I put that in air quotes uh, again and and lose it to, to Joshua but uh when I when I came back the point of all this is that I got cut and I had no job I I, I drove across the country I drove back from from L A to Pittsburgh. And my buddy got me a job at T-Mobile selling cell phones for, I think it was $10 an hour with commission. And I was like, I am 27. This sucks. Like, it, I mean, I'm telling you, I think I was making all total maybe $1,000 a month. And that was with the unemployment I was entitled to from because of the way all American heavyweights had to pay us. They had to put us on the payroll. I mean, so I was like not in a happy place. And I said, okay, well, we, we got to solve this problem. And, and to me at that point in time, solving that problem meant going back to school and getting a degree. 
And I said, how am I going to afford that? I said, okay, let's let's join the military because <laughs> the military will pay for it. So I did that, and I wasn't sure I was originally going to go back for math, which makes zero sense because I'm terrible at math, right? But it was going to make me better. It was going to make my mind strong or whatever. So I went, enlisted, and an enlistment taught me a lot about myself and everything. And and so I came out, and I did the National Guard, which is part-time service, so I could go to school immediately. So that's how that all got started. That's how the service started. I needed money for school. And I, and I wanted experiences, too. I picked a, an MOS, a military occupational specialty. I picked a, the land combat and, and missile systems repairer. But there are no missiles at a National Guard base, so they put me in charge of the electronics and repairing that on a vehicle. So I was learning how to work with my hands. I was learning how to use tools, things I had never done in my life. And it really changed how I thought and made just I wanted to be a technical guy. I was tired of being a useless dude. Right. And and it really it gave me that. And plus, it gave me the pride, man. I got to wear a uniform and that wasn't a big deal then. It still isn't a big deal now. But now I've done a little more than be a guy that's always looking forward to the bar. Now I'm a little more than a guy who's working at T-Mobile selling phones and customer service. And I'm just building on that. I'm going to school. I'm doing the military. Because now, right, you got to remember, people go, why are you doing it all at the same time? Well, I wasn't doing anything and now I got to play catch up. <laughs> so it's all happening at once. For the first time, right, I'm 32 now. I'll be 33 in like, what is today? I'll be 33 in six days. And now things are starting to scale back a little, but there was a period three for about three and a half years. It was miserable because of all the work I was doing. And I, I did have a plan, right? The plan was, you know, you'll, you'll box a little, you'll, you'll probably get to 15 fights and then a promoter will come out the blue and go, Hey, we want to sign you. Yeah. Well, well that didn't happen. That happened at fight number five. And so I was like, Oh goodness. Now I got to fight on someone else's schedule, which made going to school more difficult which made the military more stressful. So it all came back. But now things are starting to catch up and finally come into place. Now I'm starting to, now my life, I'm proud that I can go, hey, I'm 32 and I pay my rent and I own my car. Like, <laughs> you know, things I couldn't do when I was 27, I can do at 33 or 32, but it's because I condensed so much activity into a period of four years. And we, we didn't even talk about the writing, right? <laughs> right? But... That was my next question. When did you start to blog and tell your story about this? Because you've had all the experiences, but that's one thing. A lot of people feel underconfident or not sure that they should tell their story. You were very active about blogging. You've turned it into books. You're podcasting as well. So, so when did that happen? Well, you know, I, I had blogged a few times before, but not with much success. And I think the lack of success in my old blogs can be contributed to two things. One, I can control one. I can't. One was the lack of experience in life. I just know more and have seen more. And I have learned how to um, abstract about my experiences better and teach better with them. I, I, I'm just further along in life. Right. The other thing, uh, there was no Twitter <laughs> The, when I first started writing, Twitter is incredible. 
I don't know. We probably would not. Be, I, I say this every time to every podcast I'm on, every inter- We would not be sitting here if it wasn't for the power of Twitter, right? So, so that really helps. And it's really helped my blog grow and it's helped me meet people who are interested in seeing me grow, who who like my work. And it, it helps get the story out there. So so to that, that start question, always. As far as my specific journey, well, it's just part of who I am. It makes the most sense to write about it. They say, you know, you only write what you know. And what, what, I, what I have taken that to mean is... You know, every everything that's ever happened has kinda happened already. Or to put it another way, all the advice you can get is already out there. I'm not gonna give anyone any new advice. What allows me to stand out is how I have applied that advice in my life and how you can see how it's worked. That's personal branding. I mean, that's all personal branding is. Uh, is you know, you, you've taken this advice, you've changed your life, you were messed up at one point, now you're not so messed up. Uh, the in-between is what people like to hear, what people can learn from, and I really enjoy teaching that because, you know, I wish, well, not I wish, I mean, a, a lot of my improvement can be credited to reading blogs beforehand and and then now that i'm in a position to help people i just write i mean and that's all i'm doing is writing and telling my story and tweeting out my ideas and my thoughts and people are getting so much from it and that that really makes me happy not caring what people think is a superpower that's the name of your latest book (laughs) probably your biggest book so Uh uh-huh Come on, tell me, what's the philosophy behind it? What's the philosophy behind that? The whole idea is this, right? And people are always, uh, you know, shouldn't you care about what some people think? The whole point is to focus on the process, the internal aspect. When you focus on the outcome, uh, a couple of things happen that you don't necessarily want to happen or you may not think about uh, happening. One you're only worried about how you look as opposed to how you perform. There's a line, and white men can't jump. Woody Harrelson says it. He says, brother, we either look good losing and look bad winning, right? And that always stuck with me because it's horrible. It's a horrible mindset, but you see it all the time. Because people only care, or so many of us are obsessed with the image we put forth in the world as opposed to being obsessed with the person we are that will naturally create the image. And I want people to focus on that. The chapters I have in the book, the hard work, the relationship, Tom and sobriety, paradigm shifting, discipline, all those things, those are all points that if you follow them, you will build yourself into a person who you're going to be so focused on tweaking the process that your outcome is going to be great, right? When you try and do it vice versa, work on the outcome you might do something dubious too like cheat just to win i think there's a big issue with performance enhancing drugs in sports because people don't approach the sport now you could argue about the money aspect but that's a different but then i guess that's still outcome when you're focused on getting better when you're focused on improving and taking it as far as you can take it you're not you're not worried about the performance enhancing drug. You're not worried about 
breaking all of these records, if that is a natural ass outcome of you training, of you learning, then great, right? But I, I refuse to believe, for example, that a guy like Michael Phelps is going out there every time going, we're going to break a record today, and that is what I'm trying to do, and that's all I care about. I think he's concerned about swimming the best lap he can, making the best stroke he can, maybe not breaking each individual stroke down to that level of minutia, but he is definitely not worried about going out and smoking the other guy any more than he needs to to win the race. It's a performance-based kind of deal, and I think that makes a big difference. If we pursue that line of thinking in our relationships and how we relate to ourselves, because I know a big issue with me is I wanted to be viewed as a partier, then I go and drink like a partier instead of going, yo, I don't care about any of this shit. I want to go to the museum. I want to sit at a jazz club. I want to find a girl who can do that with me. I'm, I mean, I don't care about the other stuff. And, and now that I, that I have, it's amazing how clean my life is, right? And we can apply it to other areas, too. I remember when I started boxing, for whatever reason, man, I wanted to look like a, a goddamn killer like Tyson. And everybody wants to, right? The problem with that, though, is it takes away from me working on the skills of being a good boxer. It takes away from me learning the craft. My my coach, he always talked about studying fighters, and I never understood how to really study film until, really until this year. And and I think part of that is because I really got away from the the shots they're throwing. And I was able to see a meta picture. How are they controlling the ring? How are they setting guys up? I, I really, I, I've really been watching a lot of uh, Hagler and, and right. And before I was, when I was watching Hagler, I was like, oh man, it's the knockouts, cool, right? Hey, nah. What's really cool about Hagler is how he takes these steps to try and control and move the guy into a position he wants to before he lets off a punch. And so I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, okay, okay. He is not, or rather, I'm not trying to emulate Hagler. I'm not trying to look like Marvin Hagler. I'm trying to be the best version of me that I can be, and this is just a tool to get me there. You see how the focus is a little different? It's not on emulating a fighter and trying to look like the fighter. It's taking the pieces that they do and and making them my own and going, okay, yeah, I like that. I like this. I like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. How does this work? Why is this useful? Let me put it into my philosophy of fighting. A lot of what you've spoken about there is management of the ego. Understanding yourself and managing your ego. Okay. But you had a recent challenge uh, in your last few fights because you were 13-0 and then you lost. And then you Mm -hmm. lost and you were taken out in a round. I saw it on YouTube. Ah, YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it on YouTube. I saw the footage. It wasn't pretty. You were taken out in a round. You were down three times. Okay, you've been unbeaten till then. How did you manage your ego in that time? Because that's a juddering defeat for a fighter. Oh, how did I manage my ego? Well, for the first, the first seven or eight months, <laughs> I just ran away from it. I did not look at that. It took me 10 months. I remember the exact day because I'll tell you what I did when I finally looked at it. Uh, but it took me 10 months to watch my fight. And that is 
a life that's two lifetimes, maybe even more, in terms of when you should watch a fight to learn from it. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But I remember when I watched it, I finally watched it. I looked at it and I said, wow, I'm losing hair. I got to go shave my head now, dog. This is nuts. And, and, and so I went and I asked my barber to shave my head. Now I shave my own head. But the point is that for the longest time before then, I had trouble admitting that I was losing hair. Now my ego is so diminished <laughs> that I can just keep it real and go, okay, this is ridiculous. Let's deal with this part. Like, if the worst part about that, and, and it really is kind of a coping mechanism, that, that I get that. But I'm looking at myself get crushed, and I go, I mean, because it's true. I mean, I, it's funny. I just spoke on it, and you said I was down three times. I was like, man, I thought I was down twice. Like, you just, just don't remember. Cause, but, but, uh, but it, no, you're right. It was three. I'm not. But to look at that, I could, I could look and go, okay. I just got knocked out. That sucks. Couldn't say that before. See, I can say it now, though. Because I'm not trying to protect my ego. I'm interested in improving and building on it. And every single person, and I'm huge on self-improvement. I'm huge and I'm huge on facing your fears and the things that hold you back mentally from moving forward so you can make physical development. So, for me to not be able to say I got knocked out for ten months, that is that's a that's huge. That's skin in the game. That's me. That's me knowing. You know, we we talk about writing about my life and all that. I know what it feels like. I know, I know what that feels like now. But now I can because my ego has been crushing out the way. Now I can come back and learn more than I learned before. Way more, I think. You know. One of the things you worry about when that kind of thing happens is, okay, did, is it time for you to hang the gloves up or did you just get caught, right? You you can't tell that if you aren't even willing to face it. And for 10 months, I wasn't sure. I mean, I really spoke at least for the five, for five for sure. I debated, juggled back and forth. I mean, I told my coach I'd be back in a year. With that, what I really was saying, I didn't say it, but what I was really saying is, I figure in about a year I'll know for sure if I just want to leave this behind or not. And and looking at it, I was like, okay, no way. And I'm not coming back because I think I'm a, I can take a few paydays, right? Uh, because that that's cool. I mean, you know the game. At 13-1, and one, especially with a first-round knock, well, not especially with a first-round knockout because there, there is an unknown element there. But at 13-1, and one, you know, I, I got guys calling. I think I got three different offers, all north of 20K, because 13-1 is a great record. And, and I'm beatable, right? Now I look beatable. So God's like, let me pay this guy to come and build my other fighter up. So so I could have easily just said, I got some kid in Montreal to development who's like 10-0. And, and they, were like, they were like, yeah, he looks like he'll be good to beat up. And I was like, ah, nope, I'm going to just sit this one on the back burner. Because that's the other cool thing. I mean, I didn't need money because of writing, thank goodness. So I wasn't sitting there going, yeah, I, 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 I never even blinked. But I thought it was funny. I tell my coach, I was like, "Yeah, man, we we could cash in on this, thing, you know." But but um, nah, man. The the best part about losing, and I say it is really, I said it intellectually when it happened, but now I know it viscerally. Losing like that was the best thing to happen to me 
not just in boxing, but in every aspect of my life because it really, really, and I never thought of myself as an arrogant guy or, or like a braggadocious kind of fighter. It really humbled me to the point where like, I just, I, I don't feel separate. That's the best part. I don't feel elite. And I don't mean that negatively. Like, oh, bad confidence. No. I feel more in tune with the struggles of every every person. <laughs> Especially other fighters, for sure. Because even though there's struggle coming up, I mean, can, having a promoter versus not having a promoter, man, that's like, that's the difference between trying to swim across the ocean with a boat behind you and a hurricane in front of you and no help. That, that That's the... It, People just don't know. You know, because you know the boxing game. And so now I can really identify with those things and, and just getting hurt and being embarrassed and worrying about money. I had I got a small job for like two weeks after that because I wasn't sure what I was going to do about money. And, and there was some terrifying moments. But all of that just makes you better. And, and I'm really happy to have gone through it. People, I think when people say they have no regrets... They're full of shit. I, I, I do not wish I had lost. I, I could go back. I would have knocked him out first one round. But when people say they have no regrets, what they really mean is I wish I could have got the same lesson with a different outcome. And that's what I mean, in, in, that it was the best thing and I wouldn't change the thing. I wouldn't change the, what I've learned the past year from that. Ugh, I, I wouldn't. I couldn't learn it any other way. I don't know how else would I have learned it. I would hate to be like 21 and 0 right now, full of shit, with no way to relate to people and no, and even further. And, and what I mean, like, it's not like I had an easy life or anything, like, and it's not like there weren't struggles, but I, I get to relate even more. Now I get to be even more in tune with human beings. And human beings are the best part of this planet, other human beings. Worst part, but also the best part. Snow is like melting the bass. So on the podcast, you guys can't see it, but every now and then I like, shoot my head over and look because we had a snowstorm and now snow is melting and you can hear it like falling off the roof and so you're doing the longest answers by the way but that's great i knew you're a talker for, from the other podcast that i've heard you on but what you're what you're saying is is that that and, and this is the great thing about you that you've written about self-improvement but boxing is the greatest metaphor for that because it is so there's so much at stake and you have to work so hard and you potentially get so little out of it and you have to believe in yourself. Now, of course, you had that defeat. You've come back and you got a draw with a guy that you'd previously beat. OK, now I know boxing records. People will look at that saying, oh, is this guy slipping? He's had a good start. Is this guy slipping? As a fighter, you'll think about that as well. Well, you've written a book on confidence. You've written a book oh, on yeah. confidence. You're the, you're the only boxer I know who could have a crisis of confidence if he's got one, but could take his own advice because he's written it down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, so that fight, you're talking about the fight against Willis Lockett. I had beat him. And you know what's funny about that fight? Just on a side note, I like to give the stories behind the stories behind the stories. When I beat him, we fought in, in Detroit, and Detroit is just as bad as everyone says it is. Um, but fought in Detroit, knocked him down in the first round. They gave him, we counted it on film. He must have got a 13, almost 14 count. I mean, I should have won that fight in the first round. But but there's that. You know, that that's the fighter in me, you know, 
being a fighter in me. But the guy comes back, he gets the draw. I thought he earned the draw. Actually, I probably got a little bit of hometown help, but we're going to be honest about this. I didn't want to take that fight. I didn't want to fight. My manager said, because originally we had a deal. We worked out a deal to where I was guaranteed a rematch down there in Oklahoma. Not a rematch, but another fighter in their stable or whatever. And my manager said, you should take this fight because if you lose two times in a row, it's going to be a lot harder to market you. And we know you can beat Lockett. I didn't want to because at that point in time, I'm stressed about trying to feed and make sure my money is fine. Uh, I had to take a little part-time job that was garbage, but you know, then I quit. I just wasn't in the mood to train. I didn't want to train. I didn't want to be in the gym. I, I didn't want to be have anything to do with boxing at that point. But I thought it was good advice. I could see his reasoning. If I could go back and do anything over, like we say, you know, like I just said, you know, I would love to get the lesson without the outcome. But I probably wouldn't have taken that fight. Was I slipping? What what we have, what, what, what my team and I have accepted, and looking at my development and looking at some things I was doing, I probably was still injured. <laughs> um, you know, they give you the. I think I got a third, a sixty or sixty day suspension without sparring. Because whenever you get stopped, you get a medical suspension. Depending on the severity of the stoppage, 30, 60, 90. And if you get more than 90, you probably should stop fighting. Um, or at least that's effectively what they're telling you. Now, whether you come back or not is, is up to you. Uh, so so some things were, were off. A lot of things were off. My feet fell off. I fell off. Just off. And at that point, you're going through the motions. You know what that fight was like? That fight was like the last two months of a shitty relationship. And you're just there going through the motions because you haven't figured out how to say this is over. <laughs> and then after that fight, I told my manager, I said, yeah, you, you'll see me, you know, and, and for real, I mean, from December 5th or 16th, to January 2nd, I did not step foot in a boxing ring. I went to the gym only twice, and, and they were both to get tickets for a fundraiser because I still wanted to help the gym and everything, and, they, they, you know, they helped me, and I love these people. They're my family. But <laughs> that's what that last fight was about. I, I didn't want to be there, and and I fought, I fought as best as I thought I could fight, right? Which, in retrospect, means I fought about as good as I could fight to not get hurt. Because the guy couldn't hurt me. He was incapable of hurting me, which is nice. I mean, I guess anybody can get hurt, but it, but I'd have to, like, hold my hands down and go, hey, right here, buddy, on the chin. Oh, no, you missed. A little further up. I still am conscious. Yeah, but other than that, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a cool experience. Great. He, he, but he, I, I think, me, I don't know. I probably won. One three, yeah. Well, it was a draw. Yeah, I guess I won three rounds. Yeah, so there we go. There's that. But that that's that. That's my take on that fight. <laughs> Have you been able to leverage your self improvement blogging audience into your boxing game? Do, do okay. any of those buy tickets or anything like that? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, 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 and I'm I'm stressing the arms because I have a few interpretations of this. 
right now I've got a way my audience, I mean, really grew this year too. Like was way bigger than when I was fighting. When I was fighting, I don't think it was big enough to make a difference. And on top of that, I don't think anyone really knows how to deal with me in terms of marketing because there haven't been any boxers that have done what I've done. So we, we kind of were relying on an old model, and I had my reservations. And that old model, in the most capitalistic terms possible, leaves too much on the table. I just don't think if we tried to promote me in, a, in the upcoming year or two that I'll fight, or hopefully more, if we try to promote me in a traditional sense, that we will, I mean, we might get some, but we probably will lose a lot. So now what I'm working on building and figuring out is, okay, how can I translate this into ticket sales? For example, one of the things in my mind I'm thinking about is, is I think any promoter who has n not explored streaming their own stuff, and a buddy of mine was doing this lately, or locally, streaming stuff, charging $10 to watch the fight, right, that, that, that's a great way to stream a local audience to an international playing field, which is what we have now. And boxing is, you know, kind of slow to adjust to that, like it is to most things. But some of the guys have got it. And they'll put me on it for any other reason than they could get that equipment. Now, do I sell enough to cover the cost of renting or selling that up? Uh, who knows? I don't know. But generally speaking, the, pre the answer to that previously would be no. Moving forward, yes, yes, yes. If for any other reason, then I'll, I guess around uh, September, you know, people started coming about the wood. You know how the, the game is, you know. People come about the woodwork going, hey, here's this, that, or the other. Can this, that, or the other work? You know, or the traffic to my website or promote a product to my Twitter. Yeah, uh, I think the future is really bright. And if for any other reason, then... I have never existed and and are no one like me with that kind of appeal has ever existed. And I really think I have a unique opportunity to kind of lay some groundwork for what to do and how to build and promote fighters in the future via social media, because that is one area that MMA is. I think you wrote about that. MMA is kicking boxing's ass because they learn from it. They, not only that, but the the typical UFC fan tends to be a millennial. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, what I wrote about was WWE and UFC. Now, WWE, obviously, the definition of it being a sport. Some people say it is, some people say it isn't. Certainly, there are athletes involved. Anyway, let's call it a sport for, for sake of argument. They tell a fantastic story both in the ring and out the ring and in preparation for and that's what I feel that boxing lacks UFC has been great about it I know that WWE WWE athletes have been contracted to in the past a certain amount of posts in the morning certain amount of posts in the afternoon and reply to X amount UFC fighters they've been I think Dana White back in the day many many years ago was putting up like $250,000 as a pool for to incentivize his fighters to, to be the best on social media within UFC. Actually incentivizing. Now, boxing doesn't have that organization with the central control, but yeah. what it does have is boxers, in my opinion, wrongly, just building up to a fight. 
just doing the six weeks ahead of a fight. No, you've got to tell your story week in, week out, or month in, month out, be that a podcast, be that YouTube, be that daily training tweets, be that this is what I ate, this is my shake, this is my skipping routine, this is, and boxers don't do it. And it's nuts. It's crazy because they're local yeah. heroes. <laughs> they're, they're the last local heroes in sport, proper local heroes in sport that you are, you know, Ed Lattimore out of Pittsburgh. You will be directly related to where you are. Whereas right. the players who play for Manchester United, you know, 90% of them don't come from Manchester. Right, you are related <laughs> directly in geography, and yes, I know that fighters have had to in the past sell their own tickets. And in England, fighters there'd be a, a, a fight poster, and it would have the boxer's name on the bill, and then it have their number underneath their phone number. You ring the boxer to buy tickets because he's got to sell his own ticket. Right, <laughs> that's exactly exactly how we have to do it. And these guys, these guys, I mean, some of them, some of them get it. I'm watching, especially at least in my local scene anyhow. But to the, de- the degree that I am doing it, no, no one even comes close to thinking the way I think about it. Because, right, I intuitively get what you just said. The difference, I mean, you articulated it. The story, you got to tell it. Day in, day out. That is one thing Floyd Mayweather, I mean, I, I hope they learn from. His 24-7 HBO, oh my goodness. Could you imagine if you don't even need HBO to do that? It certainly helps. But if every boxer could just get on that and make their time, their story interesting. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons Anthony Joshua is is huge. I mean, I look at his Instagram, and it doesn't really work with me. He tweets, but but the Instagram, that's just one aspect of social media, and he's out there working it, working it, working it. Imagine if the guy decided to just run his own channel on YouTube. Now, there's the trade-off, right? How much time do you spend on that versus training? But it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, but, and he's the, the top, but these guys can create so much, and this is my plan. I mean, I, I'm I'm speaking to it right now, so maybe maybe another guy's hearing it, and I think he should do it too. Anyhow, my plan is to give myself opportunities that other fighters of my record would not have because I have a bigger audience. Because that's what it comes down to, the the tickets, and that right now that's the hardest transition, and I'm pretty sure I'm almost to the other side of it. Maybe, you know, three more fights or so, I think, for sure. But moving from a local guy to a guy that's selling tickets nationally, internationally, and we're assuming I win, right? And having that leverage of an audience that I've built up, because I've looked at some of the other big names, not belt holders, but even guys that have been on TV, I've got more followers than all of them. And these guys are verified check marks. I am more engaged with my audience and more known across a different spectrum than these guys, and they don't use it. They really don't, and I think that's a, a big mistake. But the but the guys who get it will be the be, be the front runners, you know. I think I have the potential to be a front runner in this in this arena. At the very least, if I go out there and I just get crushed, and I'm like, because I'm not going to be someone's opponent. I, I simply don't have to do that. I, I will never do it. I'm not interested in doing it. 
if, if that's how you make if, if you're listening and that's how you make your bread all the respect to you the game needs you i am not going down that road but if i wanted to help the sport and make a contribution i figured this out two ways i would contribute one i'd, I'd fight like hell for some kind of uniform body or help fighters harness the power of social media. And not just, I mean, all athletes, I mean, I think college athletes are horrible at this too. They should be out there really using it and learning how to put their brand out there. But no one teaches these things because how many guys like me exist, right? That have got the experience in the sport world and have built the following up and really know how it works instead of bond followers and, and things of that nature. So there, there's that. <laughs> Yeah, you've had a, a, so much I can pick out of that, but I'll talk about a few things. Certainly, there's a fight very recently, a guy called KSI versus Joe Weller. Now, these, are, these aren't fighters. They are YouTube personalities. They're gamers. But they had a bit of a beef. A fight was staged at the Copper Box, which was one of the Olympic venues. They sold out 15,000 people. They made a heck of wow. a lot of money. Yeah, look it up on YouTube. J- KSI versus Joe Weller. Totally amateur boxers. They are, they are YouTubers, but they it was effectively a novelty fight but they had a proper ring it was a proper fight it was it was organized huge audience online and they sold out a proper boxing arena and it was competitive in comparison to a fight the same weekend where two unbeaten fighters who had a quick beef but they were novices um and it it stank the place out it was a poor fight and it was top of the bill in an arena when the perception afterwards was it shouldn't have been. It they were over overhyped and they didn't no um, live up. But <laughs> what you've got though is what Gary Vaynerchuk, the 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 marketing guru, talks about, where yep. he's talking about the importance of documenting, which is telling the story on a daily basis. Document what you are doing. You don't need to craft this great story, but doing one minute of daily video on your phone is better than a crafted video every three months, you know, that that tells this great encapsulated story, daily video. And it's so important. And this is what WWE did back in the day where they were contracting fighters to do a certain amount of posts. And it could be, and this is the stuff I'm very interested in doing with athletes. I really want to do this with athletes because I think that they, I've, I've worked with clubs and leagues. Athletes are more interested in the clubs and leagues. And your story is very interesting because you know, you're not at the Joshua level at the moment. You're not at that level. You're not fighting at that level. But you have a brand based out of the books and the self-improvement that you've got out there that you could leverage. And your story yeah. actually gets better with the hardships you take because those are life lessons <laughs> and that builds into your wider brand, which makes you so unique and so interesting. And that's why I wanted to talk to you in the first place. But And your concept of effectively trying to take fighters and build their mini personal brands so they are currently second or third on a small hall bill and try and build them up to the extent that they're top of the bill on a small hall bill. Because Mm -hmm. you look at the biggest fight in the world ever was McGregor versus Mayweather. My argument is that's down (laughs) to McGregor's personality, which is majorly pushed out through social media. That's the biggest boxing fight. That's the Arguably the biggest event of 2017, and it was based around, in part, one of the participants 
being a great personality, a lot of it on social media. Yeah, it really, oh man, you know, <laughs> the the boxer in me hates that that fight happened. Every part else of me, from the from the brand builder to the marketer to the businessman, I think that was. I don't think they understand how smart that was. I mean, well, maybe they do. Like, you ever see something that just is super? It's like you know what it's like when I'm thinking about that fight. It's like watching a good movie, and then you go back and you watch it again, and you catch something you didn't catch the first time, and you're like, "Wow, this really was brilliant." They took everything you could take about because because Mayweather and McGregor two very different personalities when black white right different countries everything and they said wow because it's not even like mcgregor's the best fighter i mean in my opinion anyhow uh sure he's got a belt but like he didn't choose to fight diaz for example could have done that but he chose that guy because like you said that the social media and the personality sell, 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 sell this fight, keep selling it. I really hate. That's what fighters don't get too, right? I used to always wonder what my aversion to shit talk was, and then it hit me, and it didn't hit me when I was it hit me this year. When I was just thinking about stuff. I was like, my aversion to it is not that it doesn't that you don't need to do it, right? My aversion to it is that these guys need to craft the whole time. We have enough hills. I told my buddy Cam this when I was trying to convince him to turn pro. I said, do you understand the boxing has enough hills, enough of one kind of story that no one, not that no one tells, but people are kind of used to hearing. We need another kind of story we need more guys like, and then we can craft narratives and really create these stories. And no one gets that. No one wants to get it in boxing anyhow. And and in, and the only way it's going to work, people are going to have to play nice. And that's what Mayweather got with McGregor. He got a guy, whether he knew it or not, was playing nice. And by playing nice, I mean working together for the best outcome for both parties. Right. And and no one gets that. You know, it, it, it's it, it's too for for better and worse. That's what we love and hate about boxing. Right. Is that boxing is, is too real. So, to <laughs> you know, where do you go with your boxing? Because you're going to come back and fight. You right. haven't fought in over a year. So are you nervous about that? And also you already talked a little bit about an end point, an end game to this boxing this right. boxing game. So what is the plan? Where do you want to take it now? What's the plan? Okay, so I'm coming back and I would love to shake the ring rust off and I do sell enough tickets around here to where I can get a guy to shake the ring rust off on. And this is just talking business, right? If people don't know this, you know, you, you got to pay the opponent somehow, right? For a guy like me coming back, I want to get in there. And I like to move around against some guy with a not-too-bad record. But obviously, God is going to push me, and if I lose, you know, that that tells me that I'm not, that's it, right? I don't think so. So I think we'll do that for at least one fight, maybe two. 
in an ideal world, right? In an ideal world, at that point, I'm 15 and one and one, and that is a nice, especially in this era right now with these, for lack of a better term, lack of competition. And what I mean is, I don't think there's a lot of a lot of heavyweights because no one wants to. Uh, one, it takes a long time to get to a heavyweight body type healthily, so there's just fewer of them. But at 15 and one with my following, I don't think I'll have any problem with somebody booking me to to fight a guy that will significantly alter my rating if I win, and that is the turning point. If I win that fight, whatever that fight is, where I come in for sure on the B side, then we were looking ahead. And if I want to be, if I want to talk about the most basic go after that point, because that's, that's what, that's checkpoint one, get to the fight where you're the B side of a, of a fight, uh, against top 20 guy, win that fight. And the next checkpoint is fight for six figures. That's the next checkpoint. We keep winning. You know, you, I, we, you can go as far in my mind, I go as far as, you know, fighting for a championship. I know that each checkpoint, is it's harder to get to the next checkpoint. Like, I don't think I have a, a, a problem beating uh, two guys where we, we select them. And I'll let my team selects them to, to, for me to develop a move. But it's that, that fight where I'm coming for sure on the B side where they called me up because they saw. And I learned this. You know, you learn this all the time. You know a thing intellectually, and you hear it viscerally. You know, Freddie Rhodes goes, we seen something. We think we can beat him. Something about hearing that come right from Rhodes' mouth really made it made it hit home. Where this guy looked at my table and said, yeah, we can beat him. And so they <laughs> selected the fight. So so that's, a, that's the next point, to get past that, where someone effectively makes a mistake. But they're not making the mistake out of ignorance, they're making a mistake because I still have to continue to improve. And they catch me at a point where my improvement is at one level and they go, okay, we can beat them at that level, but in the interim I move past the point where they're capable of winning. And I, I think that'll be at, uh, at 15, 16, and 1 as we move on. So, you know, that's what a boxing game is. My plan now is just uh, to approach to get to go as far as I can. The next time I lose... Uh, maybe the last fight I take, I suppose, will, will make me consider that is one, how everything else is going in my life. Two, how much I could get for the next fight. Three, how I lost the fight. If I lose a close decision, for sure I'll come back. If I if I get crushed in the first round, I'll just go lick my wounds somewhere on the beach for a few months, you know. So it it just depends. But my overall goal is to go as far as I can. Now that I've taken time off and I'm coming and I'm and I'm back training and I have a, a renewed confidence. And more importantly than a renewed confidence, I know you said I talk a lot. Feel free to just tell me uh tonight. To my... It's a podcast, <laughs> it's fine. You're supposed to talk. I'm good. <laughs> great, great. And that's what I've learned too. But but branding branding one on one. Uh podcast people listen to hear me speak. So I think one of the reasons that cause I call these things Hadra. Right, I do one podcast, and I, I swear to goodness, this will go out, and I will get at least two interviews for offers for another one. I'm sure you look it up, and I, I, I've lost count. I have no idea how many podcasts I've done, and I've done every one in this style, so I know that that it works. But <laughs> um, one of the things that's really happened that I feel confident about 
is there were a number of things I was trying to learn before I took the time off. Most of them having to do with how to orient orient myself in free space, how to make sure all of my punches are sound and powerful, and most importantly, to not have to think about that technique so I can be a strategic fighter. Yeah, somewhere along the line that happened. Uh, whether it was my brain completely recovering from concussions or everything just kind of happening while I rested, I I never felt like I can do what I do. Like, I don't have to think about where to put a shot. Now I just see the opening and I try and place the shot there. And that's a really big difference as opposed to thinking, okay, let me think jab, jab. And I've thought that I've put the jab out there. Let me follow it. All right. Now that I've got his attention, that's way too much stuff to think about. All right. Now I have to go jab, jab. Okay. Let's throw the right off and get out the way and, and, and move and, and make sure when we move that our chin is tucked and makes a complete contact on my chest. I don't have to think about that at all. The technique is there. And I always compare this to chess because in chess, they say, right, automatics before 1800 level are lost on tactics, right? How to make your strategy happen. And I really feel like tactically, whatever, uh, I've crossed over. And I think the rest was really necessary because I, I just, I was tired, man. <laughs> now I'm really excited to go to the gym. I can watch fights. And, and watching fights is fun. I was watching a bunch of Lucci and Butte fights the other day because I love the way Lucci, and even though he's a southpaw, and that's part of what makes it happen, easier for him, how he's able to drop that left hook and, and put guys down. I mean, you, you've you never seen anyone else do that. So I, I just like watching that, man. And and plus, I got a soft spot for Montreal. And all, I think all the great fighters, for whatever reason, come from Montreal, which was because it's cold as hell, probably. What about the writing, the blogging? Is it possible to turn that into a full-time job or a, a, at yeah, least a, a very strong sideline? <laughs> That's how I, I've lived for the past year. Are you kidding? It's possible I'm living it. So how, writing... so how are you monetizing then? Sorry, how you, I, I thought it was, I thought the boxing and the the blogging and the books were kind of together, but you're saying it's been your major income. I didn't realize that. For the past year, and really, I mean, if you want to talk about when it really kicked up, the past six months, book sales are probably, I've not probably, I've done... $2,500 to $3,000 a month U.S. dollars in book sales probably since July. And before then, it was like 2000 1500 to 2000 Because I had a horrible launch because I didn't know anything about launching, right? But now more people continue to get exposed to me. And this makes sense, right, um, in terms of sales and why it would go up each month. Because when I launched the book, I only had 10,000 followers on Twitter. And my mailing list only had like 2,000 people. Now, I'm I'm just shy of 40,000 followers on Twitter. And my mailing list has 5,200 people. So, uh, th- that's growth and expansion already. And book sales come with that. I've written more, so people are more comfortable with my writing. And they go, you know what? This guy's awesome. I've put out more information. Uh, so people want to support. I mean, I had someone tell me, they were like, yeah, man, you give out such great information. I bought like three copies of your book because I felt like I was stealing from you. Uh, so point is that I'm in a position where from writing alone, and writing is not the only thing I do. I've also learned and leveraged what I've learned about personal branding into consulting. And that's another 
thousand dollars a month there in consulting and that's just from social media some some affiliate sales also uh, you know contribute to the bottom line probably probably another grand in affiliate sales a month so so while i'm i'm by no means a baller uh <laughs> and i'm not like living large on a hog or anything i can devote and it really is fortunate I can. I teach too. I forgot about that. And I really I love that private tutoring, man. I charge fifty, well, forty an hour if you average it. I I charge that, and so it all works out. I'm I'm living a really enjoyable, happy life, all for mostly from writing. Like if, if all my other sources of income got cut off and it was just writing, I I'd still be fine, and and I'm really happy about that. <laughs> and just finally. What is success? What's your definition of success? Life success. You're a philosopher, basically. You're a philosopher in your books. What is your definition of success long term? My per oh, well, I guess this will be everyone's definition. Long term is to continuously uh, overcome challenges that you didn't think you could overcome. I really think because I, I I don't believe happiness is a stationary point and by extension i don't think success is a stationary point either i think it's a rate of change if we were to talk about this in math terms it is not a position it's the derivative of the position right it's how things are changing and i know that i am happiest right after i do something i did not think was possible or that was just an imagination that was just part of my dream. And then it becomes reality. Even if I remember, I, I still remember because I took a screenshot of it. The first time I made $100 in a month from just online sales from Amazon. I was like, yeah, man, I did it. Right. Didn't you? All right. Because at that point, making money online became real to me. Right. Even before, I mean, when I when I made like one cent or, or like ten cent on the Amazon like affiliate, it, it became it was like okay, cool. But when I was like, oh, that's real. And then when I made my first thousand in a day from online, so I was like, oh shit, it's real. Like it's real. But it was only in my imagination before. So that point in between, taking it from your imagination to reality. That's success. If you can continue to do continuously do that with the caveat that you do not harm anyone who does and people say, but you box who does not agree to the rules, you know, <laughs> of being harmed. If you don't unintentionally harm a person or you harm anyone, period, you shouldn't harm anyone. That is success to take what is in your mind and make it a reality. Ed Latimer, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Sport, Digital, and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. You can find Richard on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for at Mr. Richard Clark or at his website, MrRichardClark.com.